Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. We'll be in verses 12 through 19, and the title of this morning's message is simply, See Jesus. See Jesus. And I saw a story the other day on the television about a case of mistaken identity. And there was a baby that was born, and the hospital mistakenly switched it with another baby in the nursery. And what happened is the babies were born at virtually the same time. It was a large hospital. And so they were in the nursery at virtually the same time being brought in and, and, and all the things that are done when a baby's first born. And there was another baby in the nursery that had... A code, whatever a code is, a code happened. And so all the nurses had to meet at the code, baby. When they went back, they got mixed up who the parents of each baby was. It was a mistake that they made, a terrible mistake that was made. But something went bad wrong in the system. And the wrong parent went home with the wrong baby. And had it not been for a, uh, a, a situation with one of the children where at about one month old there had to be a procedure done and so there were some tests done and they determined when they did those tests that it was not possible that this woman who brought this baby in for this procedure at just under a month old, it was not possible that she would be the biological mother of this baby. And so they began to look back over the last month and they traced it down. They had all the mothers who had had babies in that day bring all of them back in because they find out whose baby is who. And it was a serious case of, of mistaken identity. Bless God, it was straightened out at just under one month old for all these babies. This morning, we'll be looking at a passage where we see on the surface what looks like people celebrating and crowning and acknowledging the King of Kings and Messiah Jesus. But unfortunately, as we dig into our text this morning, I believe that we, in fact, are going to be looking at what I would say is no other than John's gospel account of a case of mistaken identity. For those who are present, they're not going to see the identity of Jesus the way that they need to see who Jesus is. But my friends, my desire, and I believe the Holy Spirit's desire for all of us this morning, is that we would see Jesus in the way that we are supposed to see Jesus this morning. You see in this text, the king of glory who had come with no reputation, who was born in a manger in a stable. The one that Philippians chapter 2 would say this, says he laid aside his reputation and his recognition of being God. He emptied himself of those things and being found in the appearance of man. This king of glory would robe himself in flesh and blood. And here he comes, some 33 years after robing himself in flesh and blood, riding on the back of a donkey into town. Within seven days from this story that we study, within just under seven days of this story that we're going to be studying this morning, this Jesus will be crucified on a cruel Roman cross. He will pay the debt of sin for the lost, and he is establishing a kingdom for sure. But the ones who are there waving those palm branches, the ones who are there crying out Hosanna, the ones who are there welcoming Jesus into town, they don't understand the kingdom that this Messiah is establishing. 
They are looking for a king that would break them from Roman oppression. But into town on that donkey rides a king that would not just deliver them from Roman oppression, but would deliver them and the Romans from death. And so my friends, this morning my prayer is that we would see Jesus for who he really is. Let us all stand in honor of the reading of the holy, inerrant, and infallible words of our holy God from the Gospel of John chapter 12. And let us start in verse 12. And the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey set on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. And therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let us pray. Father God. God, I pray that you would do in this place what only you can do, and that is allow your people to hear a message from you, Lord. God, I pray that you would dwell among us, that you would bind any spirit from this place that ain't your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and that you would just sit down and be glorified in what we do this morning, Lord Jesus. That you would be the center of every show that we have at this church, Lord God, and that all of your people would draw nearer to you, and that we would behold our King this very morning, Lord Jesus. And it is in your precious, saving, wonderful, gracious, heavenly name that we pray together this morning. And all of God's people said, and you may be seated. The first thing I want us to look at this morning is the perfection of the timing, the perfection of the timing. In verses 9 through 11, had we read those, it would have revealed to us that Jesus had orchestrated the resurrection of Lazarus for the ultimate purpose of forcing the hand of the Jewish leaders. And so what we have going on here is Jesus has resurrected Lazarus and Bethany, and he's gone back and he's had the meal with them, is you have a crowd of people, one crowd who was in Bethany with Jesus, who had seen the miracle and lay witness to the miracle of him raising Lazarus from the dead, and they're coming into Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem coming out to, to greet this Jesus who is coming, you have another crowd who have heard what happened in Bethany. And so right here in this, in this sea of people, you have two great crowds meeting. Those who had seen the miracle, those who had heard the miracle. But what is happening is they are converging and they're noisily converging into one loud, huge mob. And they did it all on the prophetic timetable of God's holy clock. They are there for a purpose, for a reason, to gather and make this scene on this day. The Bible in verse 12 simply says, 
the next day. But his entrance of Christ, this is known as the triumphal entry of Christ. And it's one of a large number of prophecies in the Old Testament. God, in his majesty, in his sovereignty, in his goodness, in his holiness, God didn't want the people to be messed up when they would see the Messiah coming. He didn't want any lack of detail to be given in the old books. He didn't want them to have to wonder whether or not this was the Messiah when the Messiah came. In addition to the countless prophecies of the bloodline of Jesus, the Old Testament prophets give us numerous references to the coming of the Messiah. Micah 5 and 2 says that he would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 35, that he would perform miracles. Psalm 78, that he would teach in parables. Isaiah 40 tells us that he would be preceded by a voice calling out in the wilderness, who we now know to have been John the Baptist. Psalms 41.9 says that he would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah the prophet establishes that the price of that betrayal would be 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 22, we get graphic detail of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And friends, keep in mind that this graphic detail that we get of this crucifixion of Jesus Christ, written by David, is written some hundreds of years before the Persians would ever even invent crucifixion and that the Romans would then perfect and perform on our Jesus. And David would write about it hundreds of years before there had ever even been a crucifixion. Psalms 34 would tell us that no bones would be broken. Isaiah 53 would tell us he would hang between two thieves. Psalm 16 says that he would rise again. And Psalm 68 would tell us that he would ascend into heaven. But my friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that not only did did they have all of those prophecies of Jesus, but they have another prophecy that John is writing about this morning. John is telling us about another prophecy that is even more specific. And that is from Zechariah 9.9 when we see that the prophet would write that the Messiah would usher his way into town on the back of a donkey's colt. Zechariah says essentially if you want to know that the Messiah is rolling into town, if you want to know that the one coming into town is the Messiah, you need to stand on the streets of Jerusalem and you need to look forward for the one who would come into town on the back of a young donkey. But it goes further than that I believe. I believe not only do we have Old Testament prophecy on what he would ride in on, that he would come in on a donkey. But I believe it goes a little further and it tells us even when that he would make this triumphal entry if you study the Old Testament prophecy. Had these good Jewish boys and girls and men and women paid a little more attention in Sabbath school, they would have had this date circled on their calendar, I do believe. Now think with me just for a minute. We're not going to dive too deep into the Old Testament prophecy. I don't want anyone to clock out on me, but I want you to clock in. I want you to put your thinking caps on just for a minute. I'm not going to ask you to do this for long, but just for a minute, I want you to keep your thinking caps on with me. Daniel tells us in chapter 9 that from an issue of a decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah would come into town being crowned as a prince, from that time would be a passage of 483 years. Now Daniel actually gives us this time in a timetable of 69 weeks of seven or 69 groups of seven years. And God there gave them a little countdown. So essentially what God had told the people in his word was he said this, When the decree comes that the temple is to be rebuilt, I want you to turn on your timer. And when 483 years have come to the conclusion, I want you to look because riding into town is going to be your Messiah. 
Now, that decree was issued in 445 B.C. in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. We find that in the book of Nehemiah. Daniel's prophecy would say you add 483 years. Now, that would be calculated on a 360-day prophetic Hebrew calendar. And if you calculate the days and the months and you convert it back and forth, my friends, you would find that the very year and the very month, and I submit to you the very day that this triumphal entry would take place would be the very day of the prophecy that Daniel would have foretold that the Messiah would be rolling into town on this donkey. If any of you would like the expanded version of that math, I would be happy to go over it with you. But for the sake of time, I condensed it down to a quick version. What I want us to see is the perfection of the timing of the ride into town by Jesus Christ. My friends, I didn't want to just stand up here and say, he came into town at exactly the right time. I wanted you to see, just like God had wanted the Jerusalem people to have seen, just like he had wanted the Jews to have recognized that Jesus rode into town on the back of a donkey on the precise moment that it had been ordained that he was supposed to. Jesus fulfilled filled every Old Testament prophecy exactly as it was written, including the one that said he's riding into town on a donkey 483 years after the decree to rebuild the temple. The timing of his entrance is perfect. Imagine with me to illustrate this. That I said to you that I wanted a book from, from my library. We had a conversation and I said, I have a book that I believe speaks to you directly on this topic. And I was really busy, and I said, what I want you to do is I want you to go next door to my house. And I want you to go to our guest bedroom. When you get in the guest bedroom, that's the one with the flowery comforter that nobody slept on because it's still made. And I want you to go in, you'll know you're in the guest bedroom when you get in there and you see that comforter on the left-hand side. And I want you to go in in the closet... Now, in the closet, you're going to slide the right-hand door over, and in the bottom corner, there's a blue tote underneath the red tote. I want you to pull the blue tote out, pop the lid on the blue tote, look on the right-hand side, and then underneath the green jacket, you're going to see a black book with an orange spine, and on the side, it's going to have the name Spurgeon written on it. That's the book, my friend, that I want you to grab. And you would stroll over to my house, you would walk into my house, you would look at the dirty beds, find the bed that was made up, say, aha, I found the guest bedroom. You would go to the closet, you'd pull out the tote, you'd lift the tote, you'd look, and there the book would be exactly in the place that I had said it would be, looking exactly the way it was supposed to look, with the name on the side that was supposed to be there. My friends, I believe that each and every one of you at the time that you grabbed that book would say, aha, this is the book that he meant for me to have. Would you agree? Everything would have lined up exactly the way I told you that it lined up. Yet here in this crowd is a group of people where everything lined up exactly the way that the Old Testament said that it was going to line up and we're going to see that their recognition of Jesus is false. But my friends, I don't want our recognition of what's happening here to be false. I want us to see Jesus clearly. 
Because you see, it goes further than what we've already seen. The prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 was not completely fulfilled at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. If you read on through Zechariah 9, you'll find that the remainder of the prophecy will be fulfilled one day when a trumpet sounds and Messiah returns again. His second coming to this earth to call us all home. That is when it will be fulfilled. And the best way that we, my friends, can know that Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do is by recognizing that he has always done what he said he was going to do. Because Jesus has always done exactly what the Bible said he was going to do, we can take rest assurance that he is always going to do what the Bible says he's going to do. So we know that if the first arrival happened exactly the way it was supposed to, the second coming is going to happen exactly the way Jesus said. One day, Gabriel's going to toot and I'm going to scoot and we're all going to go to glory and we're going to sing a new song that we've never heard before in a new body that we've never felt before and we're going to praise a Jesus in a way that we've never praised him before I'm going to have eyes that no longer see hatred I'm going to have eyes that no longer see anything but beholding the king of glory in Jesus and when that happens my friends it's going to happen exactly the way that the book says it's going to happen because everything has always happened the way the book said it was going to happen but my friends Daniel's prophecy told us exactly when Jesus was going to come the first time the word of God doesn't give us a countdown of a, of, a, of a sand of hours for the second coming of Jesus, but it does one better than that. It says that it could happen anytime. Anytime. It could happen before we get to point two of this sermon. Some of you would be happy about that. It could happen a hundred years from now. It could, the Lord may tarry a thousand more years, but can I tell you that everything that has to have been accomplished biblically for Jesus to make his return back to call his children home has been accomplished for thousands of years. It's all been fulfilled. He could come at any given time. And so my question is this to you this morning. Do you see Jesus clearly? Do you see Jesus as the Messiah that he is? Before we move into the second point, I want you to make sure that you see the perfection of the timing, but I'm not finished. This is fixing to get fun. I want you to see the picture of the entrance. In verses 12 through 16, we see God uses palm branches and people and hosannas and singings and the back of a donkey's colt to paint a picture. There's a picture painted of this triumphal entry, but I want to submit to you this. The picture is not just the ride of Jesus on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. The picture that we see here is much more than that. It's a picture of the cross of Calvary's hill and the death that Jesus is about to embark upon. You say, how is that pictured, Brother Jason? I don't see the cross mentioned in these words anywhere, but my friends, look at the picture that we have here. Here we see Jesus riding this donkey into Jerusalem. If you look at the other gospel accounts, you'll see that he actually rides his donkey right up to the doorsteps of the temple. This is when he would get off the donkey, walk into the temple. You'll remember the story. He sees them buying and selling the sacrifices. This is where he would turn over the money changers' tables. It's where he would tell them that they turned the house into a den of thieves. And so he would ride this donkey right up to the doorstep of the temple. Now keep in mind where this temple was in Jerusalem. We're going to have to look back in the Old Testament again. This temple that he rode up to would have been known as Herod's temple. Herod's temple was simply a rebuild, a reconstruction. Might I, might I submit to you it was a, a remodeling, a restarting of Solomon's temple that was built in Jerusalem. Now we get word in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and 1 that Solomon built his temple 
He built the house of the Lord on the mount called Moriah. My friends, can you think of another time that a promised son was on the back of a donkey taking a trip to Mount Moriah? Good Bible scholars will remember Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham laid his son, his only son, Isaac, on the back of a donkey. And they made a trip to Mount Moriah. You remember what Isaac would say to Abraham, his father. He would say, Father, I see the wood. I see the preparations. But what is the sacrifice? But Abraham didn't look down at Isaac and say, Well, boy, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. What's fixing to happen? Well, it's good for God, but not so good for you, son. What did Abraham say to Isaac, though? You'll remember he said, What? The Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice at this place. The Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. And as Abraham raised the knife to plunge it in to his son, his only son Isaac, and sacrifice him, an angel would cause him to stop and look up and see a ram. A pure ram with his head caught in a thorn thicket. And Abraham would recognize that the Lord had provided himself a sacrifice. My friends, that story is not just a picture of Abraham's faithfulness. It's not a picture of his willingness to sacrifice his son. It's a picture of Calvary's hill where the firstborn son of God would climb to Mount Moriah and willingly lay down his life in sacrifice. And God the Father would do what Abraham did not have to do and allow us to plunge the the, the knife spiritually speaking speaking into the heart of Jesus and shed his blood for the remission of sins. My friends, this donkey ride into Jerusalem is not just riding on a donkey. It is a prophetic picture of what is coming on Friday. What's happening in this entry tells us what's coming as Jesus is going to sacrifice. But it goes a little further than that with this picture. Second Chronicles tells us that Solomon was not only building this temple on Mount Moriah, But the reason he was building it there is it is the place where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had appointed in gratitude to the Lord right there on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. This is the story. If you read back in Samuel, where David, against God's command, disobedient to God, David had begun to count the number of troops that he had. He began to look at just how his military prowess had risen and how many troops he had. And God comes to David and he says to David, because of your disobedience, because of your lack of faith, you are going to be chastised. David, I'm going to give you three choices as to the chastisement that you're going to receive. David wisely says, God, I cannot choose. For you are a holy God. And whatever the chastisement is that you push out, that will be the chastisement that is deserved for the sins that I have committed. And God would send an angel to David. And that angel would wield a sword and slay 70,000 Jewish soldiers and people. And that angel of death would make its way into Jerusalem, prepared to lay waste to Jerusalem for the sin of David. And God in his mercy at this very place would tell that angel, put your sword up. My wrath has been fulfilled. 
I hear the cries of my people, and my wrath is satisfied. I want you to think about that with me. On this very place where Herod's temple would be born, and Jesus Christ would ride in on a donkey, on this very place, it's not by mistake that the temple was built there, that Solomon would have originally constructed the temple there. My friends, on this very place where the wrath of God had been satisfied before, where his anger had been satisfied before, would come a Jesus who would satisfy the wrath of God for all of our sins. For all of the sins of all of mankind, the wrath of God would be satisfied by Jesus Christ. And we see that pictured as he strolls into town on this donkey. Because within just days of this, he's going to say it's finished. He's going to say it's finished. And when he says that, he's going to have your sin and my sin and the sins of David and the sins of our children's children on his back in that moment, satisfying God's wrath against sin. My friends, I want you to see Jesus clearly in the perfection of the timing. I want you to see Jesus clearly in this picture of his entrance. But finally, I want you to not be one of the people who missed it. I want you to not be one of the people who missed it. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And that word Hosanna, transliterated from the Hebrew, gives us this term. The, the, the direct translation would be this. Lord, save us. Give us salvation. That's what that word Hosanna really means. Give us salvation. Lord, save us. And it shows us that, that while they understood that Jesus was a king bringing in a kingdom. But friends, when you read further, and if you come back next week, because I know you're all coming back next week, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. They, they don't see Jesus for who he is. They're, they're looking for Jesus for something totally different than what they're supposed to be looking for. They, they just didn't see it. You see, what they were doing was actually just doing what good Jews did at the Passover time. They would sing the, hymn, the hymns of the Hallel Psalms. They're found in Psalms 113 through 118. This particular psalm that they're singing in Psalm 118... They say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you go on to see how that song continues on, you'll see that it actually says, tie the festival sacrifice to the horns of the altar. So they would be singing this song, being good Jews, doing what they thought they were supposed to do, and they would prophetically speak of what was about to happen to Jesus Christ. They would sing that this blessed lamb on the back of that donkey was about to be tied to the sacrificial pole. He was about to be sacrificed. But think with me just a moment about this crowd. Because in just a few days, this crowd who now says, Hail him, hail him, is going to be screaming, Nail him, nail him. Same people 
If you read through your Bible, you don't see that after the triumphal entry, the Romans ushered out all the Jews who were there and brought in a new group who didn't like Jesus. It's the same people who sing, Hosanna, Lord, save us today. But tomorrow they say, crucify him, crucify him. Same people. So what would make people go from hail him to nail him in just a few days? I ask you to consider this with me. This crowd was not interested in Jesus because he was the Christ, the Son of God. This crowd was not interested in Jesus because he provided salvation from sin. This crowd was looking for Jesus to deliver them from Roman oppression. And when he didn't do that, they were done with him. They wanted to worship Jesus as long as Jesus was doing for them what they wanted him to do. But the minute Jesus said, I have to die and you have to take up your cross. If you are going to follow me, they said, I don't want no part of that. Just kill that guy. Give me back Barabbas the thief. Give me back Barabbas the the murderer. Give me back Barabbas the criminal and take this Jesus because there I was thinking that he could deliver us from Rome and now he said that he's here to deliver us and Rome and I don't want any part of that. And so he doesn't do what I want him to do and I'm done with him now. (coughs) Whoo, Brother Jason. Glad we don't do that today. Really? See, if you're going to cry out, Jesus, save me. You've got to end that same statement and say, Jesus, thy will be done. If you're going to cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me, then you've got to end that same breath and say, Jesus, I submit my life to you. If you're going to say, Jesus, I want to go to heaven, you're going to have to say, Jesus, I want to live a life that's been set apart by you. We don't get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we want to believe. We don't get to pick and choose the parts of Jesus we want to take. If we're going to take the sacrificial life and death of Jesus Christ, then we're going to have to endure the persecution that comes along with it. I submit to you that their problem was that their adoration was not for Jesus, but it was for themselves. It was not in what Jesus was doing. It was what Jesus could do for them. I heard a story recently that broke my heart. It was of a church where many of the members had gotten together and said that they were going to withhold their tithes because they didn't like the decisions That the preacher was making. Can I just submit this to you? Can I just ask you to think about this for a minute? If their tithes were based on their happiness with the preacher, then it had nothing to do with God to begin with. If they thought that it was okay to to tithe when they were happy and, and steal from God when they weren't, then their giving had nothing to do with God to begin with. And can I just tell you that God's got all the money and all the cattle and all the hills and you don't got nothing without Him? If you're tithing because you're happy with a situation, then you're not giving sacrificially because you love God. You're giving selfishly because you think that if you bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, He's going to pour the blessings out upon you, but you're missing the blessing of sacrifice sacrificing yourself for God. But you say, and I know I'm speaking to a holy and sanctimonious group and bless God for it. None of you have ever done anything like that and praise God for it. 
But this very thing is played out so many times. I've seen it so many times. When a group of young people can stand and shout from the mountaintops when we play 10,000 reasons, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and the beat gets going, we want to raise that roof, right? That's a term from my high school days. Y'all may not say that anymore. I don't know. My bad. I may have shown my age. Brian has raised the roof before. I know it. See? But that same group, when bless the Lord, oh my soul, and the drum beat kicks off, and the piano kicks on and sing just as I am, they lay their head down. And they're no longer raising the roof but hitting the floor because I just don't like that. Can I submit to you, if that's the way you feel about it, then you weren't raising the roof for Jesus. You were raising the roof for yourself. But hang on, I'm not done. It's the same reason that another section of the congregation that's not part of the younger, I won't call you older, the same reason that, that some of you, when we sing, The King is coming, you raise up your hands and wave your handkerchiefs like Vestal Goodman is joining Bill Gaither and they're singing it again to the holiness of God. The King is coming. Sing it, brother. But when the next song we sing is, Behold, He comes rising on the cloud. You go, oh my God, there they go clapping. And there's that guitar. I'm glad we don't have these problems here, but I've heard this happens at some churches. Can I just tell you, if that's the way it was, you were never shouting because the king was coming. You were shouting because it, it hit you personally because you liked it. And it served you. If God is the source of the praise, then the way it's manifested really won't matter. You'll just praise. My friends, I submit to you that when we get to heaven, we're not going to sing hymns or praise songs. We're going to sing new songs. We're going to sing new songs that none of us have ever heard. And we might as well just get on board now in case it's a hymn or in case there's a guitar. I don't know. We might just as well be practiced up praising Jesus before we get there. But I want you to look quick with me, quickly with me as we close. At verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look. The world has gone after him. Why would Jesus orchestrate this triumphal entry of people who weren't really praising him? Why would this be done? Why would he need this false crowd? My friends, if you study your Bible, you'll find that the Jewish leaders had decided Jesus had just enough supporters that they weren't going to bother him until after Passover. But the prophetic table of God said that Jesus would die on Good Friday. And in order for that to happen, the hand of the Jewish leaders had to be pressed. So my friends, when you think back to the fact that Jesus tarried and let Lazarus die before he resurrected him, you see that in fact there was something more going on there. He was delaying, he was waiting so that he would ride into town. On this day, this crowd would meet, the mob would rise, the Pharisees would say, everything we've done to discount him is for nothing. We've got to ramp up our efforts. We've got to go ahead instead of waiting till after Passover. Let's get him before. The prophetic clock had to be stepped up. And Jesus did all of this in his divine holiness. 
that we would see Jesus. How can we, you ask? How do we see Jesus? Well, this baby in a manger grown into a carpenter on a donkey doesn't look much like a king in his Galilean carpenter robes. Riding on the back of this donkey, he doesn't look like much of a king. Friday, hanging on a cross. This Jesus doesn't much look like a king. He won't look like a king when the crown of thorns is placed on his head. He won't look like a king when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He won't look like a king as the blood trickles down his body. He won't look much like a king when he's laid in a borrowed tomb. No, he won't much look like a king in that day. But my friends, to see Jesus clearly, I need you to hang out about three more days. And you see a dead man start to breathe again. You see that dead man breathe and you watch him get up from that grave. You watch him kick death right in the teeth. You watch him grab hell by the nap of the neck. You watch him rise and that stone shatter away and that Jesus rise again and him look to him and he'll say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Because I am not dead, I'm alive. My friends, that's when you can behold King Jesus. That's when you can see my Messiah. That's when you see Jesus in all his grace and all his mercy kicking death in the teeth and taking my sin with it saying, that one is mine. And I bought him on a hill called Calvary. That's my king, friends. So this morning I ask you if you will look and see Jesus. Some of you here need to see Jesus in a situation in your life and you, you, you don't know why or when or anything else, but my friends, what I want you to know is Jesus has always done what he said he was going to do and my Bible tells me that he tells me that he will never leave me nor forsake you and he will not leave you nor forsake you. You just need to come and lay that at his feet this morning. You need to give it to God and let him have it. Somebody here, though, has never seen Jesus at all. They've never been saved. They've never given their life to him. They've never followed him. And I ask you this morning, would this be the morning that you see Jesus as king? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a triumphal entry on the back of a donkey. We thank you for a death on a cross. We thank you for a resurrection, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. God, we thank you that you have always done what you said you were going to do. And you've always said that you'll take care of us. And so, God, we lay it at your feet this morning. God, we give it to you this morning. The broken home, the broken marriage, the broken job, the broken finances, the broken life, the broken whatever it is, Lord God. We lay it at your feet because you are faithful and just, Lord God. God, for the things we don't understand, we ask you for wisdom because your word says if we ask, we'll know. God, for that lost soul here this morning who's never cried out, God, please save me. God, I pray that you would convict them and do what only you can do. And that's have them cry out to you, Jesus. That they would come and say, Jesus, I want to be saved.
God, you have your way and your will with this invitation. And let us all see you clearly, Lord. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.